morning, church. Uh, it is my great pleasure and privilege to get to preach today. I'm thankful to be here with you all, and uh, I pray that our time together will be a blessing to you, and most importantly, make much of our holy and glorious God. Let's open in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father, we come together today to think deeply upon you, upon the great mercies that you've blessed us with. As we dig into your word, Lord, help us to have a good and right understanding where we may be off in our thoughts or our lives lived out. We pray that your spirit would convict and correct us. I pray that you would bring a a humble posture to our hearts and minds and that we would leave here in awe of you, in awe of your word. Help us now as we study and worship together. Thank you so much for all that you've done, for all that you continue to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start right there at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Later, we're going to turn to Proverbs, so uh, if you want to kind of find that too and kind of keep your thumb there, that'd be great. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now perhaps you're familiar with this passage, but I want you to consider something this morning as we look at it. There is a a massive shift in the way that Eve thought. She was not ignorant of God's command. However, the serpent tempted her to question what God had clearly said, And therefore encouraged her to become the judge of what is good or not good. She was now faced with this temptation to sinfully judge God's word, God's commands as not good, not right, not best for her. Maybe she sinfully considered now that it would be good for her to not believe what God had declared to her. We see the very moment that this idea to question God came to be in the text so clearly. Prior to this point, for whatever time had passed that Adam and the woman had enjoyed this amazing garden, every thought and every decision was in full and complete submission to God. Whatever God had said, this is what Adam and the woman had believed to be true and how they lived their lives. Their worldview prior to this moment was simple, 
sound, and clear. God has said it, therefore it is truth, and we obey it. This was not a robotic type of obedience. Adam and the woman knew that God was good. They had a deep love for God and what God had given them. Just consider that a few verses earlier, Adam bursts out into song at the very first sight of the woman that God had created and gave to him. But we now see the error that has been plaguing mankind since the fall in full view right here in this passage. The woman was tempted to question the truth that God had given her. When we look closer at verse 6, we see something totally foreign and new come into the thinking of the woman and of Adam who was with her. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Did you see the change, church? The woman, instead of trusting wholly and submitting to the word of God, steps back for the first time in record and looks for herself at the fruit. The verse says, she saw that the tree was good for food. She's observing it. In fact, the fruit was a a delight to the eyes. Church, the fruit looked good. It was juicy or colorful or plump, whatever appearance it had was something that would cause the woman to think that it would be delightful. The woman believed that the fruit of the tree would bring wisdom. God said it would bring death, but the serpent tempted the woman by saying, God is a liar and the fruit is good for you. For the first time in her life, the woman used her own decision-making faculties to judge whether or not this fruit that God said was off-limits and brought death truly was what God had declared it to be, or if it was something altogether different. The error in the woman's thinking is critical to see because it is the same exact error that you and I make every time we sin. It is the same exact error that you and I make every time we know what God has declared about something, but instead of trusting him, trusting what he has said, we place ourselves and our thoughts on the throne to judge and decide for ourselves if we think that there is a better or more accurate thought than what God has revealed to us. Whenever we believe something or act in a way contradictory to what God has declared, this is exactly what we are doing. Church, this is the fall of man. It is the act of deciding that we know what's best, what's true, or as the Bible calls it, becoming wise in our own eyes. Our sermon title today is Biblical Wisdom. Uh, It is and will likely continue to be something that I encourage and teach with our youth, 
uh, within my discipleship and, and then to our church family when I have the opportunity. This is because without biblical wisdom, our worldview is not a Christian worldview. The weight of this is shown in our world today by many professing Christians supporting and promoting unbiblical ideas, movements, attitudes, actions, and lifestyles. The reason that we must think through this clearly is that our worldview shapes our entire lives. The way we think, the decisions we make, the actions we take, they all come out of our foundational beliefs, our presuppositions, and these foundational beliefs are what form our worldview. As Christians, our ultimate authority is God. We submit to God's word as ultimate because it is the revelation that God has blessed us with to know what is truth and what God requires of us. The Bible is God's gracious revelation unto us so that we may know truth, that we may be able to make sense of the world that we exist in, the world he created. Our worldview must be biblically based. It must be biblically corrected. And we must strive to make it biblically sound. This is what it means to hold or possess a Christian worldview. Now my aim for our time together is to unpack one of my favorite passages in Proverbs. So uh, turn now in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. We're going to spend the, the primary remaining time in that section of Proverbs. But I'm going to begin by reading through the entire passage first and then breaking it down verse by verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What we see the proverb writer do in verse 5 is really lay the foundation for our ability to have true wisdom or knowledge. If you missed our uh, midweek series on apologetics, then you may have missed a philosophical truth that constantly drives me back to God's word as our source of truth. The philosophical truth is this. Unless you have exhaustive knowledge of all things, past, present, future things, and, and exhaustive, complete knowledge, lacking in no knowledge, then what you don't know can prove what you think you know to be false. So here's the problem for the human race then. Since none of us have this exhaustive knowledge of all things, then how can any of us be certain that we know anything at all to be true? Well, we can know things to be true if and only if we go to the source of exhaustive knowledge. God is omniscient. This theological term simply means that there is nothing that God does not know. There is no detail of the past, the present, the future that God does not have exhaustive knowledge of. 
Therefore, if we claim something to be true, we must be claiming it based upon the revelation of God who knows all things and thus cannot be wrong. Romans 3.4 declares, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Now, before anyone will come to this knowledge, they must first be granted repentance and faith, leading them to this knowledge. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. You see, prior to repentance and faith, no one can come to the truth. If God grants you repentance, he is also gifting you faith. You you see, you must believe in God in order to repent to him. Now, faith is where mankind must start. If they do not believe in God correctly, they will never acknowledge him as God, nor accept the reality that he is the only source of truth through his exhaustive knowledge of all things. Our Proverbs passage declares this in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Church, biblical wisdom, the Christian worldview, it begins with faith. In fact, the primary author of Proverbs declares this early on in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, you cannot rightly fear the Lord if you do not believe that God exists, that God is. Saving faith is the starting point. Now, notice in our passage this comparison. It's a very common tool that the writer of the Proverbs uses. Verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. You see, when we rightly hold a a biblical worldview or hold to biblical wisdom, we must not lean on our own understanding, but rather we must trust God and his truth with all our heart. Now, Christian and unbeliever alike, hear me clearly this morning. Faith is not the act of Christians checking their mind at the door. Many unbelievers have classified faith as believing in something simply because it's unbelievable. This is not what the Christian faith is. Our faith is very logical. It is, in fact, the only worldview that exists that is consistent, justifiable, and logical. Now, I don't have time to go into great depth on that point, but uh, I would be extremely excited to talk to anybody about that afterwards or at another later time. The contrasting picture that God wants us to see in this verse is that he alone holds the title of truth. Jesus himself declared to be the way, the truth, and the life. What we must humbly see is that because of sin, because of our limited knowledge, we will often be off in our own understanding. So Christians, take heart. When your understanding is wrong, when the Bible corrects you, don't be defeated. God said it would. He said, instead of trusting in your own understanding, to trust in him. 
So this biblical knowledge, this Christian worldview begins with a humble, faith-filled posture toward our great God. Church, trust him with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Faithfully plead with God that his word would correct your thoughts, that your understanding would become a biblical understanding, fall in line with his truth. This is what the biblical worldview or biblical wisdom begins with. It begins with a humble faith in the creator of all things. Our next verse, verse 6, declares this. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. To hold to a Christian worldview, we must acknowledge God in all our ways. Now, this couldn't be clearer, but let me unpack it just briefly. In all your ways, in every aspect of your life, in every decision and action you take, do you rightly seek God and what he has declared to be true? We find ourselves in very unique times. We are are flooded with messages that are meant to strike fearful obedience into our hearts. Do you acknowledge God in all your ways? Or do you adopt the worldview of the culture that surrounds you? Let me pose this question. Of, Of those two options, which one holds truth? There is not a single rogue molecule in existence that does not answer to God. He is sovereign over all things. Whether that's COVID-19 or cancer, God is the one on the throne and in control. If you spend much time on social media or consuming the news of this world, you could, in times like this, easily begin to think that things are out of control. Or if you spend a lot of time putting yourself on the throne in pride or fear, you could easily begin to think that you are the sovereign one determining if you will absolutely be able to protect yourself from this virus or a car accident on your way home, so on and so forth. Christian, nothing is out of God's control. And none of us are sovereign. That is God's role. If we would acknowledge him in all our ways, trust in him with all our hearts, and lean not on our own understanding, we would not bear an ounce of fear in times like these. God declares that he has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why would the Proverbs writer declare that this willful, humble faith and trust in God, this acknowledging him in all our ways would make our paths straight? Well, because God is not finite or incompetent. Rather, God is truly sovereign and all-wise, and he has purposed all things to bring about his glory and our good. Yes, even disease, pandemics, death, God declares to be for our good and for his glory. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things... All things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. Christian, do you believe what God has declared here? Consider this. If everything going on in your life is being purposed by God for your good, for his eternal glory, then what can shake you? This is what it means to hold to a biblical worldview. Since your God controls all things and there is nothing that can thwart the will of God, then your path is straight. It couldn't be straighter. If you cling to God, then what can shake you that God does not have authority over? The answer is nothing. Nothing. He is totally sovereign over all things. Therefore, when we live with this worldview, trusting him and acknowledging him in all our ways, he makes straight our paths. This is an amazing truth, Christian. It it, it should be a great comfort to us so long as we go to God's word to see this truth. We can know, we can trust, we can believe that it is true. God cannot lie. Rightly seek God and what he has declared to be true. That is our joyful duty. Now, our passage is going to contrast things here again in verse 7. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I'm convinced for those who have been given faith and repentance, our biggest problems are created by our own actions of being wise in our own eyes. I do think that many times it can be quite simply our ignorance of what God has declared. However, I'm I'm willing to bet, more often than not, it is not a lack of knowing what God has said, but rather a stubborn being wise in our own eyes that cause us the problems we face. God, through the Proverbs, warns us against this mental posture over and over again. Think for a moment about a a very troubling, broad reality. There are thousands of people who profess to be Christian And yet they promote and celebrate things that God has condemned. They proclaim quite regularly that they do this in love. But church, God is love. Therefore, God defines what love is and how you and I are to enact love. When we do it in a way that contradicts God's word... We are not loving at all. Rather, we have become wise in our own eyes. And the sad reality of this is that many who genuinely believe they are being loving are actually not loving others, but endorsing their sin and joining them on the road to perdition. Church, that is the great danger of being wise in your own eyes. While there are a number of other dangers that carry lesser consequences than this, for example, many Christians will simply remain immature in their faith and and waste the days that God has given them to grow, to honor him, 
because they remain wise in their own eyes. This in its own right is is a very sad thing to see. However, the danger of, of proudly promoting things that God hates quite simply bears with it the saddest outcome. To bring it closer to home, uh, if you are a faithful member of this church, to my knowledge, you're, you're not promoting or supporting or celebrating wicked, grievous sins like abortion, like homosexuality, like adultery. But what happens, even in many good, uh, many who are good at avoiding these kinds of sins, is that we violate this command to not be wise in our own eyes in lots of other ways. Perhaps you think you're justified in not honoring your boss. Wives, perhaps you think you're justified in not honoring your husbands. Husbands, perhaps you think you're justified in not leading your family. Maybe you justify lying on your taxes. Maybe you're willing to break a commitment when you have made a promise not to. Perhaps you idolize your family. Maybe you think the world has this whole social justice stuff right. Maybe you think it's wise to rudely blast your political views on social media. On and on we can go. The command to not be wise in our own eyes challenges all of us. As I said earlier, I think our biggest problems are created by our action of being wise in our own eyes. We are tempted to be wise in our own eyes all day long. It's not some high, lofty thing. This is an everyday, ground-level, constant temptation. Brothers and sisters, youth and kids, take time this week to really ponder how you are being wise in your own eyes. Then seek mature Christians to ask for their input to hold you accountable. Dive into God's word. See what he declares about these things. For the rest of your life, make war against this destructive, ungodly tendency of being wise in your own eyes. Let me read the passage again and add just a little more weight to what I've shared. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See clearly that when we become wise in our own eyes, it leads us to evil. You see the contrast in the passage, right? In that verse. Be not wise in your own eyes. Rather, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord goes hand in hand with trusting the Lord with all your heart, with acknowledging the Lord in all your ways. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. You see, when we will not take a humble posture to acknowledge that God is all-knowing and we are not, when we do not acknowledge God in all our ways, what God has said to us in Scripture, what God has done for us in Jesus, that God sustains us every minute with the breath in our lungs, then the tendency for us is to become prideful or arrogant or wise in our own eyes. When we take this posture, it leads us to think and act in such a way that our paths become crooked and we typically, if not always, are drawn to turn to evil. 
The particular passage that we're in this morning doesn't end there, though. Verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So, Perhaps because we've broken this passage up, it's worth unpacking what the it is that this verse begins with. The it is this complete picture of being humble, faith-filled, joyfully dependent follower of God. This this posture, this attitude, this deep-rooted character, which is to be the character of the Christian, brings healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Christian, do you regularly remind yourself how utterly dependent you are upon God? We know that he sustains us. We know that God is sovereign over disease, over disaster. We know that nothing comes to pass that is not purposed by God for our good and for his glory. And this is a beautiful truth that we need to keep in the front of our consciences. But we need to be even more aware. We've got to dig even deeper. Christian, the heart of man, as Jeremiah 17.9 declares, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One of the things that I've shared with the youth many times, and I believe I've shared it with the adults in one of my midweek lectures, is this. No one alive has lied to you more than you have. You see, when we lean on our own understanding, when we become wise in our own eyes, church, we are trusting something that God has declared in his word to be deceitful, to be desperately sick. However, I I want us to see something Simply amazing. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. This is where I got verse 9 about the heart. Uh, Turn there and look with me now if you will. Jeremiah 17 verses 7 through 8. Jeremiah 17 verses 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who trusts in the Lord? He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. It then goes on to say how deceitful and wicked the heart is. Church, we are not without hope. Just consider how similar this verse sounds to the Proverbs passage that we've been working through this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Do not become wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You will not cease to bear fruit even in the drought. We are indeed in uncertain times. 
things seem to be out of control and, and heading in a direction that we should, as Christians, be aware of, but we should not fear. Our God is in control. If we trust in our own wisdom, if we trust in the worldly wisdom around us, we will forfeit truth and the God who owns truth. Remember the first woman. Instead of trusting and wholly submitting to God, she placed herself on the throne to judge and decide if her plans were better than God's plans. We cannot be like Eve in this, Christian. We are God's creation. This is his world. All truth is his truth. Ask yourself, in what ways are you doing this? And repent. Turn from that. Where are you going for truth? How are you allowing the actions of a sinful world to penetrate your heart? Where have you become wise in your own eyes and leaned on your own understanding instead of turning to God and trusting in Him? The writer of Proverbs actually has a more stern warning about this. Uh, If you're still in Proverbs, turn to Proverbs chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Proverbs 26, 1 through 12. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's not by accident that the proverb writer lays out the error of the fool over and over and over again and then crescendos this section by drawing our eyes to a particular verse. Verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Church, if you are looking for answers to the issues that our country is facing right now, 
or even just issues that you're facing in your own home? Are you looking to God's word for the answers? Are you trusting him through the chaos of the world? Are you pleading with more mature believers to help you understand how to think through these things in alignment with God's word? Alone and together, go to the scriptures. Go to the special revelation of God that we have in the 66 books of scripture and see what he declares. Far too often, we begin to form our own opinions and thoughts on difficult topics without going to God's word, without leaning in for biblical discipleship to rightly, according to scripture, understand these things. See, when that approach is taken, it becomes so difficult to correct those thoughts or ideas. The better route is to dive in, to invite others in, and not just any others, but mature, proven believers to help you work through God's word and see what God declares about these things. Church, Christian, we must line up our thoughts with God's thoughts. We must go to God as the only source of truth. We must dig in and lean in and be humble to grow and to give up false understandings and replace them with biblical wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Now, if you are here today and you have not trusted in what Jesus, God the Son, has done on behalf of his elect, then consider this truth. All mankind has become wise in their own eyes. Even though we know we are limited in our knowledge, we have trusted our own hearts and thoughts and taken actions in our life that do not honor God who gave us life. This sinful rebellion is what separates mankind from God who is holy and cannot let his creation blemish his holiness by overlooking their sinful rebellion. How are any of us saved then? The same God who created us entered into humanity, taking on a human nature and meeting the righteous requirements of God. Jesus then died in the place of his elect, taking on their sinful rebellion purchasing them through his blood and his finished work. And three days later, he rose from the grave to victory. Now through the preaching of this glorious gospel, the Holy Spirit takes a dead heart of stone stuck in its own wisdom and rebellion and replaces it with a heart of flesh, regenerating us from dead in sin to alive in Christ. This is what happens when God takes an unbeliever, changes their heart, gives them the gift of faith, grants them repentance, and makes them new in Christ. This is the gospel. 
No believer here has done anything in themselves to be saved from the just wrath they deserve. They owe all of their salvation to God. So if you're here this morning and you have not turned from your rebellion, then consider this reality. God's righteous wrath remains upon you. But Christ died to remove it from his people. Would you turn from your sin and trust in him? Apart from that, you will be lost forever. You will be separated from God and without wisdom. You will just continue the cycle of being wise in your own eyes. Church, there are such glorious and sweet truths in this Proverbs passage this morning. What a relief, what a joy it is to instead of thinking I must know it all on my own and and I must trust all of the thoughts bouncing around in my head. Instead, I can trust what God has declared and I can rest in that. I can find healing and refreshment. He makes my path straight. The one who controls every molecule in this world makes my path straight. Will you trust in him? Will you acknowledge him in all your ways? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ without which none of us could fight against this sinful desire of our hearts to become wise in our own eyes. Thank you, Lord, for all of the amazing ways that you've blessed us for the gracious gifts that you've given us for your truth. Thank you for our time together this morning that that we can join with our church family, that we can lift up our voices to sing your praise. Oh, how sweet the sound of other believers worshiping you together. We love you, Lord. Help us to see where we are off in these things. Help us to correct our course. In Jesus' name, amen.